The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, so Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, the first life lesson, the truth is we, believers, are the children of God. So in verse 1 it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which one of us is the greatest? Apparently was a constant topic of discussion among the disciples as, as it's mentioned often in the Gospels. They're always talking about well, who's, who's the best? Who's the greatest, you know? And no doubt recent events uh, could have aggravated the situation, especially with Peter. Peter was the first one when Jesus took him up near probably Mount uh, Hermon, and he said, who do you say that I am? Immediately, there's Peter, right? He was always ready to speak, and he said, we know who you are. You are the Christ the son of the living God. And then Jesus responded like, I mean, Jesus was impressed. And he goes, wow, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father was in heaven. He has revealed this to you. Now, I would love to have had a video camera to take of, the, of everybody's expressions as Jesus is saying this to Peter. And if Peter just kind of looked at the other boys and went, you guys see that? <laughs> flesh and blood did not reveal it to me, but for the father. If you guys need anything, come to me. I can imagine Peter saying something like that. And then, by the way, Peter was the first one to get out of the boat and walk on water. How wild and cool. How many of you would like to walk on water? Where you're like, whoa, this is definitely supernatural. He was one of only three, with Peter and James, on the top of the mountain when Jesus is transfigured, his face shining like the sun, his clothing like lightning and his true identity from eternity is revealed. And then as we saw last week, Jesus does this unique miracle, which we talked about last Sunday, where literally he tells Peter to go fishing with a hook, and the first fish you catch will have a coin in his mouth and it'll pay my taxes, Jesus, and your taxes, Peter. So what are, you know, Peter's gotta be feeling good about himself. It could have been, and some have suggested it was in fact Peter who said, which one of us is the greatest? You know, like he's ready to, you know, just tell him, Lord, let him down easy, but God is good. Anyway, what's ironic is that the last thing Jesus had spoken of is, we're going to Jerusalem, and there I will be betrayed, and then I will be crucified, and then I'm going to die. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. That's what's on Jesus' mind. But what's on the disciples' mind is they keep talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom, which is another way sometimes of saying, who does the Lord love the most? Who's the favorite? How many of you have a family, you got kids? How many parents we got in here? Okay, so you, you get your kids lined up, and, or you remember when you were kids and you're growing up, you know, who's the favorite? Who does, you know, who do they love the most? And you wanna be the most popular, the most loved, or the most favored, and we know the whole story of Joseph and the coat of many colors and his brothers and the jealousy, and so the same thing is going on here. Who is the most loved? Who is the greatest? And now we get to Jesus' answer. Here's. Life lesson number two, Jesus desires us to be childlike. That's what he's going to teach the disciples, without being childish. So after they ask him the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse two, then Jesus called 
a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and then said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Wow, this is heavy. You, you can imagine the disciples as the question is asked and they wait breathlessly for Jesus' answer. And yet Jesus bypasses all of the 12. He walks over and brings a little child, a little boy into their midst. And he says, this is the example of true greatness. And not only that, unless you guys are converted in your thinking and humble yourselves and become like this little child, not only will you not be the greatest in the kingdom, you won't even enter into heaven. You need to become like a child. And you know what's interesting? The Bible describes um, and identifies God's people in a lot of different ways with many names, but more than any other, we are called the children of God. We are known as God's children. Over and over again, the Bible uses expressions like the children of promise, the children of the day, the children of the light, beloved children, dear children, children of God. When you are saved, you didn't just join the firm or the family or some business you know, enterprise. You and I have been adopted into the family of the creator of all things and the universe, but it was more than just God the creator. He is our father. He is our dad. We are his sons and his daughters and everything he has and all the power that he has, he wants to use to bless you and me for all time and eternity. I'm good with that. How about you? It's amazing how good that God is. So as believers, we rejoice that we have become God's own family, adopted through grace, saved, brought into the family as joint heirs with everything that God possesses. And so we can enjoy his love and care for all of eternity. But know this, there's another side to children. As we all know, those who have children or have raised children, they can be weak, they can be selfish, they can be undeveloped, they can be immature, they can be childish. Jesus is not asking us to be childish, but to be childlike. And what, so what, is that, what does that mean? So uh, I've just got three uh, what I call heavenly qualities of children that I think Jesus means by putting this little child in the midst of the disciples. So number one, a child's humility. Everybody look up here. Say the word humility. God wants us to be like a child, and he wants us to be humble. And, and in that humility, we enter into a deeper relationship with God. Now, the thing about little kids, I want you to think of like, you know, kindergartners, little four- and five-year-olds. The one thing about children is they're not overly conscious of self. They are content kind of with their small world or whatever. And I just, I love, you know, kids say the funniest things. Here, here's a few examples of what some kids have actually written. Uh, they were Sunday school students. I'll just share a couple of them. One little kid wrote this. In the first book of the Bible, Guinness, God got, got tired of creating the world, so he took the Sabbath off. <laughs> Another one wrote, yes, 
I have learned that Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. <laughs> Noah's wife was apparently called Joan of Arc. <laughs> I love this one. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. <laughs> David was a Hebrew king skilled at playing the liar, L-I-A-R. He fought with the Finkelsteins, a race of people who lived in biblical times. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and for some reason 700 porcupines. <laughs> oh my gosh. When Mary heard that she was the mother of Jesus, she sang the Magna Carta. When the three wise guys from the east side arrived, they found Jesus and the manager. <laughs> Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. <laughs> and lastly, Jesus' mother was apparently a Virginian. So there are a lot of things that kids will say. But they, they're, you know, they're humble, they're simple. So I love this scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Let's read this out loud. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You don't want to be like all that and a bag of chips. You want to be real. You want to be human. You want to, and so being human is being humble. And really, you know what humility is? If you want to write this down, humility is simply being honest. <laughs> That's what humility is. This, this is who I am, you know. You know, warts and all, you know, and I love that about the Bible. I love that the Bible is not a religious book in the traditional religious sense where it puts all these perfect people. Have you noticed if you actually read the Bible, nobody's perfect except one. Everybody else from Abraham, the father of the faith, Isaac, Jacob went to another level, even Joseph. I mean, they're all characters with dramatic stories and flaws, they're, they're human. Uh, there's humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let us be humble. And, and by the way, you don't have to worry about humility. This is another great thing to write down. Humility comes from being humbled. <laughs> How many of you have been humbled in life? <laughs> by the way, I, I often say, you don't need to pray for humility. It's coming. You will be humbled many, many times in your life, as we all will. Okay, number two, not only humility is something that, that God wants in childlike, but a child's dependence. It's very important that, listen, if you want to know one of the secrets of leveraging your relationship with Almighty God, become more and more dependent on the Lord. Need Him. And don't apologize for it. Some people think being spiritual is like you're all autonomous and you got it all wired and figured out, uh-uh. No, the more humble, the more childlike, the more dependent you are on the Lord, the actual healthier and more spiritual you will be. To a child, the state of being dependent is completely natural. That's what God wants you and I to be. They never even consider facing life alone. When you think of a little five-year-old boy, little four, five or four-year-old girl, I mean, yeah, you, you got to take care of me. Somebody's got to give me clothes. They got to give me shelter. They got to give me food. And they just kind of take it for granted. That's the way God wants us to be with him. 
They are perfectly content to be utterly dependent on those who love them and care for them. Oh, if we would only learn to accept the fact of our dependence upon our Father in heaven. He loves that when we lean into him in such a way. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I love these two verses. Let's read them out loud. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. These are words of dependence. Trust not to yourself in the Lord. Lean, not to your own thinking or ability or understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord. Pray first. Go through life and pray first. Lord, be with me when we go here. Lord, be with me when we do this. Lord, just little short prayers of including and being dependent upon him, and the Lord will direct your path. And then thirdly, a child's trust. Children are by nature trusting. It's the, the bitter disappointments of life that start teaching them to not trust. But that's not the way that God designed it. That's not the way we were meant to live. We were in paradise in a perfect environment, and God was perfectly there, and He loved us and walked with us and fellowshiped with us and protected us and blessed us and wanted to share everything, all of His creation with us, that if we would only walk in trust. There is a built-in trust to a child when they know that they are loved. And I love uh, David. You know, David is, is a, a model, an example of two things. Number one, he sinned greatly. He was a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. And if we could learn, because God picked that guy. Of all the guys, you could pick another guy that maybe didn't sin so much. And, and uh, you know, like the, the prophet Daniel. We know that he was a human being. We know that he was a sinner just like we all are. But... There's never anything that's said bad about the guy. I wonder, how come God didn't say, Daniel is a man after my own heart? Now, Daniel is a man that honored God and was a prophetic man and a godly man and a biblical man and a spiritual man, and there are many wonderful qualities. But it was David who has, the whole world knows about David. For that short little time that David sat on the throne of ancient Israel, the whole world knows that little tiny nation called Israel was a superpower. And they knew about David, and all the countries around Israel respected David, did not want to get messing around with David because his God was with him. And God said of this man who sinned greatly, you know, he committed adultery, public, everybody knows, the shame, the guilt about it. He wrote songs about it, Psalm 32, Psalm 51. And, and then he killed a guy because he directed the army and he sent Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, out into the front so he'd be killed, and he was. And God counted it as murder. Wow. Are there any bigger two than that? Blow up your family, being the leader of Israel, and then blow up the whole thing by, by murdering one of the guys that's trusted in your army. And God wanted, he repented, and God forgave him. But David also was a man who sang before the Lord. He, he wrote his psalms. He had a deep, intimate relationship. He repented. He returned unto the Lord. And David, God said, is a man after my own heart. I don't know about you, but that encourages me that God would point out to David and say that you, that means you and me, could be a man or a woman after the heart of God. Amen? So trust. I want, I, I, this is written by David, but Psalm 27, verse 4. And let's read it out loud. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David was known as a man who wanted to spend time with his best friend, and his best friend happened to be God. David wanted to be in the house of the Lord. David wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. I talked about, probably a couple of weeks ago, the secret place. The secret place is when you get alone as a daughter, as a son of God, and just spend time in the presence of the Lord. It's not just for, you know, intellectual engagement. It's an experience. You and I can literally enter into the secret place and experience the blessing, the favor, the presence of the Spirit of the living God. And we can grow in our relationship and fellowship with Him. One thing have I desired, and that I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So being a child is about humility, dependence, and about trust. Now look with me at verse 5. Again, after Jesus puts the little child in the middle of them, says, now that is greatness. Then he says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives who? me. Ooh, now we're, we're crossing into some powerful territory. Jesus takes it personally, how we treat every little boy and girl. You look at, there's a lot of weird things in this world. There's a lot of brokenness in this world. There's a lot of abuse going on in this world, and a lot of it is sadly, tragically, Uh, the brokenness of this world and the darkness and the evil and the demonic realm that is abusing children. Jesus says, but if you receive a little child in my name, you have received me. And I want to just add here, I believe Jesus is blending two thoughts here. On the one hand, he's literally talking about we will be held accountable for how we treat little children, little boys and girls. When they're young, when they're vulnerable, and you're an adult, and you have all this ability and power and authority over them to either bless them or to abuse them, we, Jesus said, man, you love them, bless them, raise them in the wisdom and the nurture and the love and the peace and the joy and the admonition of the Lord. But in another sense, I believe that there's even a broader sense of a child of God, and I'm I'm speaking very, very broadly now. Not only is every brother and sister part of your family, and how you treat them, Jesus takes personally, but I want to go even a little bit beyond that and say that every human being that you meet and will ever meet in your life, I'm talking all seven billion people from every nation, every language, every kindred, and every tribe, even those who are not saved, every one of them is precious. Every one of them, at least in a creation sense, is a child of God, which he said has been made in my image and after my likeness, and you better be careful how you treat them. Be very careful to love them and to honor them and to be an example to them. So I want to go on and and make this practical. We are called to bless all of God's children. We are to bless little boys and little girls, starting with our own sons and our own daughters, our own nieces and nephews, or little ones that are your children's friends, or in your neighborhood, or your school, or business, whatever it may be. But we're to love also all those who are made in the image of God and to be a light unto them and to be an example of the love of God, our Abba, our Daddy in heaven toward them. I believe that it can mean, you know, seeing Christ 
literally, and a child. And look, to raise children is not an easy task, uh, to, to especially when they're childish. <laughs> How many of you know children can be very childish? We love their childlikeness, but we need them to be manifest. Um, so let's go ahead and that God wants us to bless children, pray for his sons and daughters. Let's go to the next, uh, the last life lesson. We're already to the end. I want to I say this in verses 6 through 9. Jesus says some pretty heavy things. And the worst sin of all is to destroy the faith of a child of God. All right, so in verse 6, Jesus says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, exclamation point, for offenses must come. But woe to that man or woman by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot, so as heavy as that is, Jesus continues to press in. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. I want to just say it is a dangerous thing to bring damage to a child's faith. To abuse a child is a stumbling block to them in order that they would learn to grow to trust in their heavenly father. And look, the Father loves us, but He has a special heart for those who are little, young, and vulnerable. Their angels do always behold His face. We have a responsibility to love them, care for them, nurture them, take care of them, and we, by the way we treat them, can become a stepping stone that leads them to a trusting relationship with our Father in heaven. But if you don't, if you take advantage of them, use them or abuse them, rather than being a stepping stone into a more intimate relationship with their Father in heaven, you become a stumbling stone. You become a stone of offense to them. Therefore, if there is anything in you or me that makes us stumble, we must remove it that we might not put it before another young person that might stumble them. Now, the last thing that I want to note here is Jesus says, look, if your eye sins, you better pluck it out. Better to go into heaven with one eye. But if your hand sins, cut off your hand. Better to go into eternal life without a hand than to be, you know, in hell for all of eternity, the fire. Well, let me just say this. Um, you know, with our eyes, our feet. Look, if we, if Jesus meant this literally, we'd all be little stumps here. Every one of us would be a stump. Can I hear an amen? So I want I wanted to let you in on kind of an obvious secret. Jesus, how many of you know, was Jewish. The whole, the wallpaper of the house of the Lord is wrapped in a Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, Hebrew communication and language. So I want to let you in on how the Jewish world says things to communicate ideas. 
When you want to say something and you want it to strike with the force of power and pierce through dull minds and blind eyes and deaf ears, you use the sharpest, most visceral language you can to get your point across that I mean business, take this seriously. Jesus is not literally asking us to maim ourselves in order to go to heaven. What he is saying is, but as, as deeply on the inside, you need to do spiritual surgery to cut out any evil, darkness, bitterness, of demonic strongholds, get it out. Any wickedness, sin, iniquity, transgression, it needs to be out of your life so that you walk in freedom and you don't put stumbling blocks in front of little children. Can I hear an amen on that? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.